want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more great investing content. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that like button on this video. And any other platform, your five-star rating and review are a great way to support the show. Thank you for your support. Today's topic is value trading. So this topic is sometimes taboo depending upon which circle of investors you are in, but I also think it's relevant to talk about. I think it's a key thing that um, many investors do, but they might not talk about. Um, it's certainly something that I do periodically. It's not a core aspect of, of my investing process, but I wanted to talk through how I think about value trading, how I value trade, and what I think some of the pros and cons are of doing so. But really, we're going to focus on what this is, how it works, and how I think value trading can add value, add alpha to your portfolio. So let's get on into it. Value trading. So I think we need to start first with a definition to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Let's frame it first with investing. So value investing is when you buy a stock because you believe that it is undervalued. Uh, you're buying something that's worth a dollar for 70 cents. You're buying something that's worth a dollar for 50 cents. Um, or you're buying something that's worth a dollar today. You're paying a dollar, but you think it's going to be worth $2 in five years, and that's an attractive return. So you're willing to pay fair value because you think that the growth is going to be faster than um, what the market thinks. And so you can get an attractive return by buying and holding a position. And really the key aspect here is you're, you're buying something that's undervalued, but you're also um, so you have there's a key valuation component to what you're doing, but you're also really buying something for the long term. Investing is this idea of having a longer term activity. You're buying and then you're holding and you're really focusing on that holding time period. So when I'm talking about value trading, I'm talking something about something a little different. I'm talking about some of the stuff you do around the edges, some of the uh, window dressing to the portfolio. How do you um, manage changing between certain positions? Um, do you do anything outside of the core investing? And so that's where I'm going to focus on. So another way of thinking about value trading is in terms of trading around a core position. So let's say you're like myself and you run a five stock portfolio and so your core position size is 20 percent. so what would value investing be well value investing be is you buy five stocks you have five stocks at 20 percent of the portfolio each they're each 20 percent um maybe you rebalance them maybe you don't but at least at cost they're 20 percent when you buy them 
and then you hold them for some period of time, hoping their value goes up, something along those lines. Value trading would be a little different. Value trading would say, okay, we have a five-stock portfolio, but we're now going to enter into the equation. Instead of equal weighting that portfolio, we're going to weight the portfolio according to which stocks we find most attractive. So let's say our most attractive position, uh, the number one stock is going to be 30% of the portfolio and our number five stock, the least attractive is going to be 10% of the portfolio. So here what you're doing is you are overweighting your best idea and you're underweighting your worst idea. Or you have some combination. Maybe you have two or three stocks at 15%, some stocks at 25%, some stocks at 30%. And so the value trading aspect is trading around that target size where you say, okay, I'd like to have a 20% portfolio position in this stock, but it's not as attractive. It's a little bit more highly valued. So let's say, you know, we're going to convert all of our companies into a baseline stock price of a, of a hundred or a stock value of a hundred dollars. So if they were each worth a hundred dollars per share, um, one of them might be trading at $50 per share. A few of them might be trading at $70 per share. And one of them's trading at $90 per share. So it might be prudent or reasonable to say that you're going to put more money in the one trading at $50 per share because it has the most upside and the lowest downside than you would put into the one trading at $90 per share. And so the idea would be is by making that tactical decision to overweight one of the stocks, you're implicitly thinking that maybe you would then adjust that positioning in the future. Now, not always. People who won't value trade might not do this, but they might still overweight one position, but then never adjust out of it. But in this case, let's let's take those numbers. Okay, in both cases, we're on a baseline valuation would say both stocks are worth $100. Um, your most attractive one, you buy at 50 and the least attractive one is at 90. Well, maybe um, after a couple years, valuations have gone up, valuations have changed. We still rebaseline all the stocks to $100, but our most attractive stock, which was valued at 50, is now valued, or which was priced at 50, is now priced at 80. And the one that was least attractive because it was priced at 90 is now priced at 60. So what's happened? The one that we overweighted has become a less attractive compared to the one that we underweighted. So now we can sell some of this position that's in position one, the one that was at 30% of our portfolio, and use it to buy some of the position that was in position five because now position five is more attractive and we can sell down that 30% back to a 20% position and put some of that money into the more attractive stock. This is the general framework of how I see value trading. It's using valuation specifically um, to change the weightings in your portfolio. So some people are against this where they say, when you're choosing to make buy and sell decisions, you should not do so based upon valuation. I do not agree with them. I think 
using valuation in the decision-making for buying and selling a stock makes sense. Some people would say you don't sell stocks simply because they're high-priced or high-valuation, but I, I think you should. I think you should consider the valuation. Just be, if a company has become overpriced, if a company has become overvalued, even if you want to hold it for the long term, it can make sense to trade around that position, assuming you have a sufficiently good comparable idea. Now, that's a very big assumption, assuming you have a sufficiently good comparable idea. Because you cannot predict the future, you cannot know which stocks are going to outperform other stocks, some would say that implies you should do nothing. I take the opposite approach. I think because you can't predict the future, because you don't know which stocks are going to outperform, you also don't know that the ones that you thought would outperform three years ago will still keep outperforming in the future. So how do we address this problem? Because it is a problem. It's something that we have to overcome here. And the way I address it is I want to make sure that I have a high bar for my value trading. My goal is, is that anytime I value trade, the exchange needs to be clearly beneficial compared to other options. So you have to have some sort of metric, some sort of baseline that you can compare companies between across industries, across positions, across market weights, across sizes, across growth, in order to determine whether your value trading is going to add value or destroy value. And you want to make sure that you're only value trading where you believe that there's a high chance that value trading will be clearly beneficial to the future performance of your portfolio and or the future risk of your portfolio. So you can benefit from value trading by reducing risk with the same amount of returns, or you can benefit from value trading by increasing returns with the same amount of risk. Either way, you're trying to improve the overall performance of the portfolio by value trading. Otherwise, why would you do it? So let's think then about what this means for us. When I manage my portfolio, I use quantitative metrics to examine all of my stocks on a real-time basis. So I keep a spreadsheet using Google Docs where I analyze every company that I own at all times, and using the Google Finance macros, I'm able to, on a regular basis, have a look-through earnings assessment of my portfolio. So let's say that I own 100 shares of a company, and here we'll use Solartron Devices, one of the companies I've talked about before on the show. Um, and so let's say I own 100 shares of Solartron Devices. And in the trailing 12-month period, they have reported earnings of $1.85 per share. That means that on my portfolio, on my spreadsheet, I'm going to have a column that says I own 100 shares. And then I'm going to have another column that says what is the earnings per share of that company? And it's going to be $1.85. And then the next column is going to multiply those two together. And it's going to say, the look-through earnings that I own as a shareholder is $185 total for that position. So I might have $185 of earnings from Solotron. I might have $300 in earnings from Coca-Cola. And I might have $80 in earnings from Apple stock. And then what I do is I look at my portfolio and I can break it down 
on many different metrics. I look at earnings yield. I look at dividend yield. I look at, um, I can look at earnings as a percentage of my portfolio instead of market value as a percentage of my portfolio. I can look at dividends as a percentage of my portfolio. I have um, the earnings and dividends broken out not only into annual numbers, but into monthly and daily numbers. And that's a helpful metric for me to know as a baseline. So if I'm trying to achieve financial independence and I know, let's say I have $5,000 a month of expenses, then that means I need to achieve $5,000 a month in either earnings or dividends on a look-through basis in order to achieve my financial independence goals. And daily is interesting as well because you can always think like, well, maybe I spend $40 a day or $50 a day or $20 a day. And so you can break it down into an even more useful baseline. And it kind of puts into perspective spending like pizza or something like that that costs you 20 bucks. Hey, that's equivalent to getting $20 a day in dividends. Well, how hard is that to do? And it's actually pretty difficult. Um, so... What I have then in my spreadsheet is I have every company I own. It has their market value. It has their symbol. It has the number of shares. It has the total percent of my portfolio on a market basis, like a market cap basis. It has the look, the PEs. It has the total earnings I get for each of those stocks. And then I have that as a percentage in total of the overall portfolio. So I have these constant portfolio look-throughs where I have a total portfolio value, but I have total portfolio earnings, total portfolio dividends, and the yields between them. And what you'll see when you do this is it makes value trading a lot more rational because what I'm trying to do then in my goal is when I value trade, I want the look-through earnings to increase anytime I make a change. So if I'm, if I have to start, you know, based upon my portfolio, look through earnings of let's say $10,000 of look through earnings for my portfolio. Well, that's really good. But perhaps there's a, a value trade I could make owning the same companies, but in a different percentage basis where I could move from $10,000 of look-through earnings to $11,000 in look-through earnings simply by selling one company that's a little more expensive and buying a company that's a little cheaper. And so that in that way, I could increase the look-through earnings of my total portfolio by 10% due to that single decision to value trade. Now, Anyone listening closely is going to immediately think, well, what about growth? What about risk? And those things are very important. And so you obviously have to take this into account. And so ideally, all the companies that I look to own are compounders. All the companies that I'm trying to own are growing, hopefully at double digits rates. Hopefully every company I own has returns on equity over 15%. And so... Those things are important in understanding that I'm not just taking a company that's growing and selling it and buying a company that's not growing because I'm already filtering down to only try and own companies that are growing. And there's exceptions and there's 
nuance cases. And so all of those little nuances matter um, if I'm making a trade or if I'm doing something along the lines of a more deep value play where it's less earnings-based, more asset-based. I don't do a lot of that, but it, those are the types of areas where you'd have to be very careful doing this. Um, but if you're trading around the same style of stocks and one's trading at 30 times earnings and one's trading at 100 times, at 10 times earnings, then usually value trading can work out really well especially if you look at two stocks that are very similar. Say you have two stocks and they both have an earnings yield of, or they both have a return on equity of 15%. So good, that's what I want to see. They're both growing their earnings at 10% a year, but one of them has a 3% earnings yield and one of them has a 6% earnings yield. Well, that means that by selling the 3% earnings yield and buying the one with a 6% earnings yield, I can double my earnings. I've already determined they have the same growth rate already determined that they have the same return on equity. So that's a straight up win for my portfolio because I've been able to sell a stock that's relatively higher valued and buy one that's relatively lower valued. And those numbers aren't an accident because what, what I'm going to say from the very beginning here, of course, is that I want a high bar. So what is a high bar? Well, for me, a high bar means I want at least to a 50 to 100% increase in my look-through earnings. So that means that if I have a position, and we're going to say a single position now, if I have a single position that's providing me $2,000 and look through earnings, if I'm going to do a value trade, then I want that new combination to be either $3,000 or $4,000 and look through earnings. If I'm going to value trade between them, I need to have a 50 to 100% increase in that position because what I want is a margin of safety. I have a margin of safety when I buy a stock and I have a margin of safety when I value trade because technically value trading is still buying a stock. You're still putting new money to work in an ex a holding that you have. However, you're also selling and selling is really dangerous when you're owning and buying and identifying compounders. You know, my strategy I've talked about numerous times on this podcast is to try and identify and own 10 baggers and 100 baggers. Well, if you do that, if you're owning stocks that have the potential to 10x or 100x over the time you own them, you have to be very careful to sell those. Now, it can work okay to value trade as long as you're also valuing trading into a stock that you also think is going to 10-bag or 100-bag. But if you if you take a potential 10-bagger and you use it to buy something that's declining, that's not a good trade. And so you have to be very careful here. So for me, that's a 50 to 100% increase in look-through earnings. And so the way you do this is you cannot use P-E ratios. So you can't say, oh, I have a P.E. ratio of 15 and I'm going to a P.E. ratio of 30. Or, I mean, a 30 and then a P.E. ratio of 15. It doesn't work as well. You need to use the inverse because um, P.E. ratios get funny when you start getting into inverses. They don't actually work the same way. Um, and so you really want to focus on taking the reciprocal, which means you just basically divide um, it into 100. And you can get the answer for what the earnings yield is. Oh, man. Um, but basically, you need to understand what your earnings yield. So, like, if you had an earnings yield of 3%, which is going to be a P.E. ratio of about 33, um, and you need an earnings yield of 6%, then it's going to be close to six, 16, but it's not exactly. So, sometimes it works out. Um, actually, I guess it would. 
That's why you don't do math on the air. It can make you look stupid. Um, but basically, you always want to think in terms of earnings yield. And that means that basically for every $1,000 that you value trade, if you're doubling your earnings yield from 3% to 6%, then you're going to get an extra 3% in earnings, which out of $1,000, that's 30 bucks. So that's a market cap weighted basis of thinking about it. But either way, we're trying to make those changes. So for instance, I have some companies at a 6% earnings yield that right now. So that means that if I'm going to value trade those stocks, then I can only value trade into a company with a 9% to 12% earnings yield or better. And so I have to have ideas that are at least that good. And if it means that I have a 4% earnings yield on a company, then I can only trade into a stock that has a 6% to 8% or higher earnings yield. Um, and so you don't want a narrow one because the more like the more often you do this, more, the more likely you are to make a mistake. And the narrower the band, the more likely you are to make a mistake. You want a very wide band. And so it's okay to allow your stocks to fluctuate. It's okay to allow your weightings to fluctuate within your portfolio. But this is basically like a rebalancing of the portfolio, except using value to rebalance instead of using, say, time or break points um, in terms of, okay, I, I always value, I always trade up if it's 25% and 15%, then I trade back to 20%. I don't do that. I do it simply based upon earnings yield. So, Thus far, when talking about my earnings yield value trading, <laughs> I've been talking in terms of increasing my returns and not necessarily about reducing risk. And so we're going to think about how you can value trade while reducing risk, but not necessarily increasing your returns. And here's what I'm going to call horizontal risk shifting. I heard about this philosophy from Joshua Kinnan. Um, he has a website, joshuakinnon.com, and he's since opened up an ma investment management business, uh, Kinnon and Green. And you can look him up if you'd like. But the basic profile of horizontal risk shifting is it's induce introducing diversification into your portfolio in order to reduce your exposure to a single stock. However, what you're using here is you're trying not to increase your look through earnings, but you are trying to reduce your risk. So what are we talking about here? I'm going to give a little brief example um, that I think gets it across pretty easily. So say you have a 30% position in Coca-Cola, but and you like Coca-Cola, but what you really like is the the soda industry, the beverage industry. And so you think Coca-Cola is a good deal, but you don't necessarily know that Coca-Cola is going to be better than Pepsi or Dr. Pepper. You just think the industry is really good. And at the time you originally bought the position, you thought Coca-Cola was the best. But now let's say Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, and Pepsi all trade at very similar PE ratios. Um, and so they're all, you know, one's at 14, one's at 15, one's at 16 for PEs. You don't necessarily know which one's better. You have no reason to believe one's going faster than the others. They're all about the same. And so what you can do is you could horizontally risk shift between them. So you could split your 30% Coca-Cola position and instead make it a 10% position in Coca-Cola, a 10% position in Pepsi, and a 10% position in Dr. Pepper. And in some ways, you're still making the same bet. You're still putting 30% of your portfolio into the soda beverage industry. However, you've reduced your risk 
because you now have three different companies. And so you've reduced your company specific risk. You're still betting on the growth of the soda industry and you're still betting on the industry leaders. These are the three industry leaders. It's very um, respectable of a bet. The key here is this is a way to handle a really high current allocation or if the stock that you own is incredibly highly valued. So it's not necessarily about, again, increasing that look-through earnings because of the high valuation. It's more about, I love this company, I love this industry, but I don't know for sure at this valuation that I want that much of my portfolio in the company. So here I used an example of 30%, but let's say I started my Coca-Cola position with a position of 20%, again, five stock, 20% each into your portfolio, but over time, it's grown to be a 60% weighting. Well, I might like Coca-Cola. I might like the beverage industry, but I might not like Coca-Cola as a 60% position, even if it's earned it, even if the price has gone up and, it's, and it seems like a good deal. But maybe I'd be okay with a 20% position in Coca-Cola, 20% in Pepsi, 20% in, in Dr. Pepper. And by splitting that out, I'm still saying, hey, Soda Beverages has earned a 60% stake in my portfolio, but I feel more comfortable and I can sleep better at night if it was 20% each. And so maybe for a period of time or for the foreseeable future, you've now expanded from a five-stock portfolio to a seven-stock portfolio because you've added two new positions. But in your mental thinking, it's really just one position. It's just your soda industry position, and so which happens to be three companies now instead of one. So that's horizontal risk shifting. I think it's closely related to value trading because it's a similar idea of you're making an intentional decision to reduce your position size in one of your companies and shift it into other stocks. And you're doing it for the basis of improving the returns of your portfolio, this time focusing on risk. So that covers a lot of what I do for value trading. <sighs> what else am I missing? So I think one thing I want to make sure to touch on is that I'm not doing this often. I'm not trading frequently. I'm not trading every day, every week, or even every month. What this does is as I monitor my portfolio and as I use real-time updated measures of my companies, I'm judging my company's weightings by the look-through earnings in my portfolio. And this is a really key point. I'm not using the market weightings as the sole judge of the portfolio. Just because the market value of a stock is high, and let's say the market value of the stock is 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% of my portfolio, that's not what matters. What matters is how much of the earnings back that up. If a company is only 40% of your portfolio, but it's 80% of your earnings, that's something to really be aware of in some ways that could give you confidence that it deserves to be at least 40%. And the other hand, you need to take a close look at the other companies in your portfolio of why they're not pulling their weight in earnings. And so by using this methodology, it allows you to boost the performance of your portfolio a little faster than it otherwise would, assuming you're making good decisions. And that assuming word is playing a big role here. You need to be very careful. Um, but I have found that by value trading, I have increased my returns over time. It's possible that in the long run, that might not be true. Um, but so far, at least I have found it very profitable 
to value trade my portfolio as opportunities arrive. It's been relatively rare. I'd say there's less than less than five opportunities a year, probably less than two or three on average. Um, maybe two times a year, there's an opportunity to value trade a stock and I don't always execute on it. But when you do, I found that it's been very profitable. And in fact, if I hadn't value traded, I would have never achieved the um, 117% annual return that I got during the last year in 2021 because one of the key things that I was able to do was the volatility was so high, especially among some of the small micro cap companies that I I invest in, that they weren't moving up evenly. And so some of them would double or triple, and then that would allow me to shift some of the risk away into the other companies that hadn't yet moved. And it was really lucky in the terms of how um, you know, one stock would go up, I'd be able to sell a decent percentage of it, buy into another stock, and then that second stock would then go up a ton, and then I was able to value trade out of it into another one, and that chaining of value trading was a large driver of my excess returns in 2021. Who knows, perhaps in the future it will be a a net negative, but at least so far I've found it to be incredibly helpful in managing risk and also boosting the performance of my portfolio. I hope this has been helpful to you. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 124. Please remember this is a listener-supported podcast. If you gain value from today's content, please consider supporting the show. You can, yeah, well, let me just skip the patron thing. I'm, work, I'm working on changing to a different support medium. Um, so you'll see more announcements about that in the future. But You can always support the show by leaving a rating and review on the podcast. Please give me your five-star rating and review, and that really helps support the show. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.